With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones, and Chris Beasley. As we look back, dissect, talk about all the discussion points and subplots from a very pleasing victory over Chelsea at Goodison on Sunday. Over two years since the Blues had beaten a top six side, but goals from Richarlison. And in the end, Gilfie Sigurdsson did the job. Um, Prem, I'm going to start on, 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 that, on that stat, that rather alarming stat. It was <laughs> over two years um, since we'd beaten a top six side, home or away. Um, it kind of shocked Marco Silva, who admitted afterwards he wasn't aware until he'd been briefed uh, by one of the media team uh, post-game. Um, were you shocked to learn, or were you, were you very conscious of this, or you know, while it was reminded, were you equally as alarmed? Um, no, normally I'm, you know, pride myself on being a bit of a geek when it comes to uh, you know sad stats, no. but that did <laughs> totally take me by surprise. Twenty-six months, the Man City game, you know, so the four-nil one, which was you know arguably the uh, the peak of Ronald Koeman's managerial time. Uh, since Everton have beaten the side in the top six. And, you know, normally our away record at clubs like that is pretty mediocre. So that shouldn't have come as a surprise, but it certainly did a goodism. And it maybe underlines, you know, so how that fortress mentality has been missing at goodison, you know, so for, for far too long. And, you know, signs of it returning maybe with the atmosphere in the derby match. And, you know, what was then needed was obviously a victory, no matter how it was achieved. Um, against one of the top six. You could argue that Chelsea were one of the uh, most vulnerable of that, you know, sort of group, you know, given that the recent record, they look a little bit flaky at times away from home, but it doesn't matter, you know, they're in the top six. So, you know, you've still got to put teams of that quality to bed. Uh, and Everson did. So it surprised me, but the significance of it, I think, is vast because, you know, we talked only last week about uh, there are still plenty of people out there unsure of Marco Silva, uh, trying to work out whether it's A, the players not showing requisite leadership on the pitch or B, his inability to actually motivate them or organise them, which is causing, you know, these disappointing results this season. Clearly on uh, Sunday, you know, the evidence points towards the fact that he did make changes at half-time. It being such a flat, you know, sort of first-half performance and either by whatever he said to the players or every tweak tactically, you know, things were significantly different in the second half, which is a major tick, you know, uh, you know major plus point in Marco Silva's favour. So, yeah, it was it was a surprising stat and, you know, it surprised him as well. But equally, you know, so it was quite a positive one in the end. And, you know, fingers crossed it can lead to, you know, some bigger and better things because there are a few more of those top six sides still to come to Goodison before the season ends. Yeah. Indeed. Um Adam, as, as Preno alluded to, the victory over City over two years ago actually proved a false dawn in that respect. In you know, in the hope that we would be returning to regularly beating these sort of sides at Goodison. Why, therefore, can we have optimism that actually this time it won't be a false dawn? Uh, I think it was Everton have been building up to this kind of win over a top six side throughout this season. You know, there's been a couple of anomalies along the way, but you look back to the. 
to the first few months of the season, you know, that game against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, you know, we've taken a lot of positive plus points from that, the game at Anfield, even despite how it well. ended, yeah, the Arsenal game as well. You know, there were so many plus points that you could take from those kinds of performances that we were looking at it then and thinking, well, in the reverse fixtures of these kind of games, we'll have this, this experience behind us, at home crowd behind us, we'll be able to get a good result against these kind of teams and, you know, very nearly happened against Liverpool. Let's not forget, you know, uh, closing stages of that game, Everton co- could foreseeably have won that game if they'd have created a few more clear-cut chances. So I think Everton have been building up to this kind of win. And, you know, first half aside uh, yesterday, you know, it, it was a really positive display. You know, that second half, you know, they came out with so much energy, so much desire. Uh, you know, the, it, well, it, the goals that eventually came weren't exactly the best quality, you know, two rebounds at the end of the day. Uh, suggest Gilfie Sigurdsson probably shouldn't take penalties no. in the future. You won't find anybody uh, uh, arguing with you on that yeah, one. Yeah, just to save my uh, nerves yeah. for, <laughs> for nothing else. Uh, but, yeah, even though the goals weren't of amazing quality, it was it was back to what Everton used to be, you know, against those top six teams in that second half, you know, just playing with pure passion, pure desire. I didn't think the football was all that bad, Say it, saying that, you know, there was a few really good moves that just didn't come off and the Everton fans were really getting behind the, the team for the majority of that second half, which was really, really good to see. And, you know, when, as Preno says there, when you've got the likes of Arsenal and Man United still to come to Goodison, you know, the, despite the way Arsenal have been playing and Man United have been playing over the last few weeks, you know, they've been playing some really good football, but, you know, there's ways to get at them. And you have to think that, you know, if Everton can create that sort of atmosphere, can play that sort of football that they did in the second half against Chelsea, there's no reason to suggest that they can't get at least draws out of those games, if not go and beat one or both of them. It's right, actually, what you say, because I'd forgotten about the United away game as well earlier this season, yeah. you know, where, you know, dodgy penalties and, you know, so really good performance, you know, so unlucky not to maybe take something from there as well. So, yeah, there have been very positive signs this season. And we tend to have lost sight of that because things have been, you know, so... I don't know, inconsistent, should we politely say, since uh, since the turn of the year. But certainly up until that Anfield derby, there were plenty of you know, uh, causes for optimism. Some of the performances, you know, so were quite bright and were quite promising. And then we seem to have lost sight of that a little bit. Consistency is what's needed, I suppose. You know, so get a result in a fortnight's time at West Ham. Don't let that be another low. Indeed, the ultimate currency, isn't it? The minute Everton consistency. Bees, um, just just for the just for the manager, then, as, as Preno mentioned earlier on, um, how significant or not do you sense a victory like yesterday uh, will be for Marco Silva? I think it's usually significant to get not only uh, a victory over the uh, top six outfit, you know, the the first one, isn't it? Um, obviously, um, in David Moyes' um, long spell at the club. Um, he always had the problem away from home against the established big four as it was at the time. He used to tend to do well against City before they really rose to prominence, but um, struggled, um, never, never got a win at um, Arsenal, Liverpool, uh, um, Man United or Chelsea. So, yeah, um, it, Chelsea have been up and down, as, as, as the other panellists have, have said. I remember them getting a 4-0 spanking at Bournemouth not too mm-hmm. long ago. So, yeah, they're, they're a bit like Everton in that respect. And obviously, they've done much better than Everton, but they are hit and miss. But, yeah, getting that first victory against a, t- a team, really, above them in, in the table all season. It's, it's, it's been all well and good beating the teams below them. But, yeah, you're getting that first victory against basically one, one of the, the division's elite, I think it... It could be huge for Marco Silva, but it, um, it it can only become huge if, like we say, 
he builds upon it with subsequent results with the likes of United and um, Arsenal coming to Goodison as well. Where, where you don't want a situation like when they blew Man City away 4-0 and then mm. waiting another two years or more until another one comes along. Indeed, mm. and of course it might sound a little bit strange when obviously we reflect that Everton are 11th, but obviously going into next season, the ambition again revs up and it, and it remains to try and challenge the top six. Um, for a number of seasons, it's always seemed that Arsenal were the ones there for the taking. Yeah. We were discussing this on the way back to the car last night after the game. Because of the transfer ban and the look of Chelsea yesterday, do you have to almost, for one season maybe, bracket Chelsea in, in that band as, as a team Everton have to seize the moment against, if you like, in terms of league position? And is there another window opened in that regard? Quite possibly, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's... The top six appears to be in a state of some flux at the moment. I mean, obviously City and Liverpool apart. You know, Arsenal have had a you know a good season, but you know, on occasions, you know, they look like they can just every now and then, you know, sort of have a bit of a banana skin. But Chelsea certainly, you know, look vulnerable these days. I mean, they they were inconsistent within the game yesterday. You know, having started so well, uh, you know, just like overpowered in the end in the second half. Uh, but equally, Manchester United, you're never quite sure what's going to happen there at the moment. I mean, Solskjaer has had that new manager bounce straight away. It sounds like he might get the job permanently. We don't know. But, you know, will he then be a successful manager? I think the jury's still very much out on him. Uh, could that mean that they become vulnerable? Pff, a difficult one to say. Tottenham, you know, sort of a new stadium on the horizon. No one knows quite yeah, how that's yeah. going, to, uh, going to work out with them. So, you know, there are possibilities. I mean, maybe that's getting ahead of ourselves because, you know, we can't even make the top 10 at the moment. <laughs> so, you know, we really need to be looking to, you know, sort of push towards the top six or seven and challenging for Europa League places. Unfortunately, the winner or the defeat at Newcastle a couple of weeks ago has made that even more difficult than we actually thought it was going to be. I can't see that happening now. I mean, it's only four points, but it seems like a lot to make up given the fixtures we've got left. But we can't get ahead of ourselves. We've just got to start, you know, getting into that, you know, area of the uh, the Premier League and then start looking ahead. Uh, but, you know, clearly that was Farhad Mashiri's ambition. You know, so he wants, you know, sort of top four, top five football. And th- there could be, you know, sort of vulnerabilities in there in the near future. So Everton have got to be as strong as they possibly can be to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, I always enjoy this part after victory. Uh, I'm going to ask the panel to each name a different um, man of the match from yesterday. Um, Adam, who was your standout player? I'm glad I've gone first here. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like there's one name who's going who's gonna, to uh, dominate this, but uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I thought he was absolutely... I thought he was the only player in the first half who went into the dressing room with any real credit behind his performance. Maybe Jordan Pickford aside as well have been a, have been a bit hard. Oh, you can't take two. God, you just, <laughs> no, I've, I've said for the first half. For the first half. Oh, go on. And, but yeah. Calvert-Lewin was given an absolutely thankless task in that first half of, you know, trying to play up front essentially by himself. He just had no support whatsoever, but the ball was being lumped up to him. He was winning the headers. He was holding the ball up. He was playing against Rudiger and David Luiz. And I think... Rudiger's one of the most underrated centre-backs in the Premier League. I think he's an absolutely fantastic player, but I think throughout that match, Dominic Calvert-Lewin dominated him, but he really came into his own in that second half. You know, some of his link-up play was absolutely brilliant. We got a glimpse of it right at the start of the half when uh, he played that great crossover to Bernard, which I think Bernard maybe should have done a little bit better of, and, you know, thrown himself at it a little bit more, but, you know, he set up the, uh, the first goal with a great header. Perhaps should have scored... Uh, a bit later on when uh, he wasn't really anticipating a cross into the box. Mm, Definitely right. should have scored in the first half when uh, he added that one over the bar from Sigurdsson's good ball in. But 
think all in all, all that was missing from his performance was a goal. He was vibrant, energetic. And uh, Leon Osman said on Match of the Day yesterday that he thought the likes of Higuain and Giroud were lessening how to play number nine. And I think I'd have to absolutely agree with that. And uh, from a 22-year-old striker, it's really, really promising to see those sort of displays. And you only hope, you know, if he can add goals to his game, it's something that we've all been saying on this panel for a while now, that if he can add those goals to his game, he could be a really important player for Everton in the future. It's funny, we've said in the past, haven't we, about how desperate it is that Everton need a striker, uh, you know, a top-class centre forward if you like and yes the inability to land that player over the last couple of windows has given somebody like Calvert-Lewin the opportunity to A get more game time and B develop you know so if Everton had brought somebody in in January a la Cheng Tosin last year you know you probably wouldn't have got that you know so mm. that development time or that game time and he could be you know so a, a big player in the future still you know parts of his game that do need uh, attention but apart from his aerial ability he's like lightning you know so you know in terms of pace um, he holds the ball up very, very well. You know, so it's all round. You know, so a passing game is decent. Finishing's not great. I mean, that mm. is something he can improve on certainly, in which you know, for a striker, can be a problem. Mm. But there are enough elements of his game to suggest that Everton could have a very influential part of the squad in the future. And just on that though, Prem, interestingly, you know, when you look back at Silver's sort of history with strikers on a number of occasions. His, his nominal number nine hasn't actually been his top scorer. It's been the guys he's brought into yeah. the game. So mm. absolutely, Dominic has to improve his, his outputs in terms of goals. But maybe I wonder how much of a concern that is, if you like, for, for the management and everything. Because they actually think, well, actually, as he develops, goals will come, but it's actually what he does around the pitch and everything else and brings other players in. It's well, totally. Equally as I mean, the, the conversation you had with Marcel uh, not that long ago about the kind of striker they're going to bring in this summer suggests that it's not going to be, you know, a, an archetypal, you know, centre-forward stroke number nine. It's going to be somebody else that can play across the three, which indicates that, again, maybe they do want to see how far Dominic Calvert-Lewin can develop and, you know, not going to, you know, sort of try and stunt his development, uh, you know, and his growth, you know, to any time soon, which is quite reassuring because everything we've seen from, from Brands and Silva suggest that there is a strategy at work here it's not just knee jerk it's not just you know let's just plan plug these holes as quickly as possible and you know let's go into the transfer market with a scattergun they don't they seem to have a long-term plan and at the moment they suggest that Calvert-Lewin maybe is part of that long-term strategy um right so Calvert-Lewin a glowing tribute there bees yeah. as I'm sure you would add to that but can you give yeah. me uh, your man of the match and a yeah, different it, one please yeah he did get mentioned briefly <laughs> but I, I'll mention just because of the way he came back after the previous week Jordan Pickford okay um, I better start scanning the play yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah as we as we mentioned last week you know had an absolute mare up at Newcastle you know what I mean he got away with the the main blunder only to mess it up late, later on but just the way he was he seemed so focused on off the field events at St James's Park like that totally overwhelmed his performance whereas he seemed to be uh, really getting back to basics make, making those important saves making himself um, begging um, um, you know difficult situations so I suppose when when they have had a bad result, when you've had a really poor performance like that, all you can do is, is, is bounce back that following week and um, produce a, a good display. And I think that's what that's what he did. He, did. he got back to the Jordan Pickford that Everton should be seeing, really. Which do we think was the better save? Hazard in the first half or Higuain after the break? I think Higuain, personally. Yeah. I think the fact that that takes a deflection off Mina as well. He's got a little bit less time to react. And uh, 
I think with the Hazard one in the first half, it was a really good save, but it was still palmed back into a slightly dangerous area. With the Higuain one, it certainly wasn't, yeah. I would say. Yeah, that, that Higuain save was a really good one. And his post-match interview was quite interesting as well. He was, you know, he was asked on the BBC, I think it was, mm-hmm. about last week. And, uh, you know, so how he's bounced back. And he gave it that my mental strength is one of the best parts of my game which wasn't really quite what I was hoping to hear. We we know his mental strength is strong because he's had to bounce back several times. We don't want him to bounce back. We want him to focus in matches more consistently. And, you know, there clearly still is an issue about getting too involved in games. And, you know, he does have things he needs to learn. Um, You can't just keep saying, I know I'll make mistakes. And if I do, I'll bounce back because I'm mentally strong. He's got to try and focus better during matches, throughout matches for 90 minutes. You know, so block out all the background noise and all, you know, so the other things that, you know, so can influence a goalkeeper during the match and just focus on his performances because he's a very, very talented footballer, Mm. you know, so a very good goalkeeper in the making. And if he can get his mentality, you know, so sorted out, he could become an absolute great. Uh, So, yeah, it was a great bounce back from him. You know, it's a really good performance. But, you know, we just want to see it happening all the time now. More focus. Mm, certainly was focus. And just before um, I ask Preno, stay with Pickford one more. Because how significant would you say the fact that when he when he walked onto the, ran onto the pitch at the start of the game, he got a really good reception from, from Goodison and particularly the Gladys Street where he was, he was going to be defending his goal. Do you think yeah. that would have helped... In that moment, um, de- de- definitely, he's got a very good rapport with with his supporters, and um, uh, I think that, that they almost see it as a, as, as a personal slight because we keep banging on about this. It's a new situation for both Jordan Pickford and for Everton to have the England number one, as, as they proudly proclaim on the uh, on the uh, scoreboard. <laughs> and I think there's a, a couple of schools of thought about that one, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, being England number one is just everything you do. Even if you're not the sort of goalkeeper inclined to be a bit erratic, people are going to focus so much on every little detail of you, your game. And if you just do anything, it's it's going to be highlighted so much. So I think it was almost like the country was rounding on Jordan Pickford last week. And Evertonians would have been as critical as anyone, and quite rightly Absolutely, so, say, yeah, yeah. you know, this, this, you know, we threw the, the game away. But when they see the rest of the country sticking the boot in almost, mm. I think it's, it's like, well, no, you know, one of He's their ours. own. And yeah, 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 give Jordan, you know, the support that he needs. And so, so yeah, I think that that was that was always on the cards. But yeah, it would have been a, a real boost for Jordan as he, as he went out there. Indeed. Right, Preno, you've had plenty of time. <laughs> Who is your different man of the match then? Has anybody left? No, I thought, I mean, Garner Gay did okay in midfield. One of his, you know, Gary quite effective raving performances. About him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, so I totally understand He wants that. Sky Sports, man of the match. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to go for somebody different. I mean, having mentioned him, you know, I thought he was, he was effective, but I've seen him play even better this season. But I just thought, given the circumstances, uh, Michael Keane, um, who had a different central defensive partner alongside him, um, he had that to, you know, so contend with. He had, you know, a Chelsea attack which was okay, not exactly ruthless and decisive in the first half, but quite dominant. You know, so he had to, he had to be completely focused and completely concentrating all the way through, uh, and he showed. Like he was a few more signs of leadership. You know, that's what we've been lacking this season at the back. You know, that Phil Jagielka character that can organise, that can point, that can, you know, sort of tell people what they should be doing. Uh, you know, Yerry Mina hasn't been in the side that often. So clearly that responsibility was going to fall on, uh, on Michael Keane's shoulders. And I thought he showed signs of suggesting, you know, it, that's the kind of responsibility you can hold. He's had a very good season. Mm-hmm. You know, he's back in the England setup and deserves to be there. Um, he's, you know, sort of grown from what we saw last season. And I just thought, 
thought it was all very, very promising and very reassuring. You know, so when Kurt Zuma is available again, you know it's it's not going to be Michael Keane making way. It's a decision there between Mina and, uh, and Zuma, and that's because of how consistent he's been, and he was very, very good again at the weekend. Mm. Completely echo those thoughts there. I thought he marshaled the defence, especially in that second half. I thought he marshaled that defence really, really well. He hardly ever had his mouth shut you know he was pointing to Coleman where he wanted him to be he was po- pointing Mina to where he wanted him to be I thought Mina was really impressive in that second half but he wouldn't have been anywhere near as good if he didn't have Michael Keane mm-hmm. next to him and that's exactly why Gareth Southgate called him up to that England squad you know I've seen a few questions on oh why isn't this player in why isn't this player in why is Michael Keane in that's why Michael Keane's in because mm-hmm. he's finally realising those those kind of qualities and you know Everton fans have got used to seeing him now this season putting in some great tackles you know good blocks uh, good interceptions he reads the game so well doesn't he, but, doesn't he win more headers than anybody yeah he's, he's won he's won almost double the amount of headers that anybody near him at Everton's won he's won 159 aerial duels so far in the Premier League this season which is absolutely incredible I think the closest to him is Kurt Zuma on 84 does that put him in, in the Premier League? Do you know in terms of? I, 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 he, he must be in the t- in the top ten at yeah. least. But yeah. I, I, I think I'm when not we sure. signed him, he was he was always up there in terms of blocks, tackles, and headed. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're used to seeing that kind of stuff from Michael Keane now. But as Preno says, there the leadership qualities that he's starting to show, like especially in that second half, I think they're they're what's been really key, and that's so promising looking ahead to the future. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So uh, none of the panel uh, picked up uh, Richarlison as their man of the match. But Preno, you found a very, very interesting stat uh, about Richarlison's goal return for his age yeah. group, didn't you, today? Yeah, it was... Um, oh, I can forget which site it was, but you know what? One of them had the, you know, to put it out there. Uh, of the strikers aged 21 and younger... Uh, in the top five leagues in Europe. And we tend to forget how young Richarlison is still, you know, because he's had a, a couple of big money moves already in his career. You tend to think of him as being older and more experienced than he is, but he's 21. And there's only uh, two other players in Europe's top five leagues that have scored uh, more goals than him at that age. Uh, Kylian Mbappe is one and Luka Jovic is the other. So, you know, it's fairly you know, sort of esteemed company, which he's holding at the moment. And he's had a, you know, very, very bright start to his Everton career, then had a bit of a dip. And then he's, he's been up and down over the last few weeks, a couple of okay performances, a couple of completely anonymous performances. And, you know, Sunday, I think, was drifting towards the latter, to be honest. You know, so we didn't see a great deal uh, of him being particularly effective. But he scored a goal and he showed a real poacher's instinct to get there as well. Uh, and you look at it, you know, when it comes back and it's, it's a good header by calvert and It's a decent save, but everybody else is flat-footed. He's in there, you know, so he's the only, you know, sort of striker stroke defender reacting quickest. And it wasn't the easiest finish in the world, you know, so he put it away very, very well. So if you can have a fairly ordinary performance and still score a crucial, you know, sort of opening goal in a game, you know, job done. So, yeah, awful lot more still to come from Richarlison. You know, he's been a, a very, very good signing. And I know people put, point to the transfer fee and say you'd expect him to, you know, sort of have an impact like that. But he's only going to get better. You know, he's a very, very young lad still. He's just broken into the Brazil, you know, sort of national team setup. That's only going to help him grow even more. So, a lot more to come from him. And a man who knows all about popping up in the box, as a jack in the box with a head of Tim Cahill, who's uh, 
Very complimentary about his finish, I believe, on Sky yesterday. Yeah, but it was almost a Tim Cahill type finish, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? The kind of thing he was very good at. You know, Tim used to arrive late in the box to get on the end of crosses, pulled back. This was a bit more of a, you know, sort of reacting to what had already gone in there. Uh, but yeah, you know, sort of praise indeed. It was good to see Tim Cahill back at, uh, back at Goodison Park. Um, he encapsulates that kind of, you know, sort of spirit, that kind of belligerence that Everson used to take for granted almost, you know, sort of throughout the David Moyes era. And clearly we were wrong to take it for granted because it's something that needs to be instilled, you know, sort of into a squad of players. And um, there haven't been, you know, enough occasions that we've seen that this season. So it's quite good to see him in there and speaking so positively about yeah, Richarlison. Really well, and, you, and yeah, and if we can actually get, you know, sort of, you know, sort of more characters like him, you know, sort of in the first team squad, the team and the squad will only benefit. Talk, Adam, of today, you know, the rumour mill's gearing back up. You know, it's only March, but of course, the rumour mill's always in operation. And talk today of AC Milan being interested in, in Richarlison, you know. Um, yeah. Is he, is he available, do you think? No. <laughs> not not in the slightest. I think I can only echo what Preno said there. I think uh, those kind of stats coming from, you know, those top five leagues, 21 and under sort of players, I think we have maybe lost sight of how well Richarlison's doing this season because yeah the last few months have been you know his form's been a little bit indifferent but could you say you could say that about anyone really in the Everton squad couldn't you I think Everton on the whole mm, over the last few months have been well it's going back to that word that you said before inconsistent massively mm. inconsistent and I think Richarlison now I think yesterday's goal bred a new lease of life into him I thought he was completely different after he bagged that goal you know it wasn't it wasn't the easiest finish but you know yeah. it's probably one of the easier that he scored this season you know just reacted well to a rebound but it wasn't the best quality goal that he's going to score this season but he seemed to take so much confidence out of that and you, you know you see seeing that he's winning the penalty uh, later on in the day as well I thought he made just made himself a real headache yeah. for those Chelsea yeah. defenders you know they're, they're really good quality defenders you know I know, I know they're not all in form, you know, Marcus Alonso especially, I think, is bang out of form this season. But, you know, Richarlison took advantage of that. And I think, you know, we were looking at him in the summer and there were a lot of people saying, oh, well, he only scored five goals last season. You know, he turned it off after Christmas, blah, blah, blah. Well, he hasn't, you can't say he has this season, you know, 12 goals where he's, I think you said before, Phil, he's very mm. close to Louis, one of Louis Sahar's best ever returns. Sahar's best return for us in the league was 13, 09, 010, I believe. Exactly. He's already gone past Fellaini's best, which was 11. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, you consider that, you know, would Louis Sahar have finished our top scorer that, se- that yes, season? He did. When he, yeah, yeah. yeah. Another yeah. one I saw this morning, if you think back, this is still Richarlison's first season. You know, he's still getting to mm. know the players around him, he's still getting used to, you know, sort of the football club. Uh, the, the, the last two players who've actually scored more goals than that in their debut seasons at Goodison are Romelu Lukaku and Andre Konchelskis, mm. you know, yeah. so which again, you know, so underlines you know, what an impact he's had in a first season. And like I say, it's only going to improve, you know, mm. so we're not going to, it's, it's not just like, you know, suddenly he's like a flash in the pan, it's going to disappear, you know, so mm. th- the lad's going to get better and better. So everything's very, very promising. The fact is, he's been shoved along that from three as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've, see, we've seen him playing through the middle, you know, had varied success there, played on the left, had varied success. I think last few games he's been playing on the right and you'd argue that maybe that could be his best position. Mm. You know, we're seeing, we're starting to see the goal return and his creativity from that position. So it might be intriguing to see whether that might be his starting position from now on. But, you know, he's a 21-year-old in the Brazilian national team uh, for 
the price that I've been paid for mm. them is starting to look like a steal, to be honest. That's what I was going to say, you know, go on and tell on about this person. price and these <laughs> infamous quotes of ruining the transfer window. Or <laughs> yeah. Um, his value is, is far higher now. And that was part of the, um, I did the, the rumour piece yesterday with, with Charleston and that was the point that he, although AC Milan wanted him, it looked like an absolute non-starter because... His agent had supposed to be in talks with Everton who said There's, he's going nowhere, you know. He's, he'd have to make an absolute offer we couldn't refuse and AC Milan just can't af- afford him. Mm. Um, you'd argue he's at least doubled his value um, mm. from from whatever from what Everton paid last um, summer 35, potentially rising to 50, given what he's achieved this season and his age, like we say, yet he, his value's only gone up and up and he's one of these um, prized assets for Everton who can hopefully just become more and more valuable and the likes of AC Milan just being priced, priced out for a move from him. You know, the days of Milan being able to cherry yeah. pick the, the world's top talent are, are long gone and um, said that back in the 90s, uh, of course, you mentioned Andrei Konchelskis there, he went to Fiorentina for a, a record fee. These days, the Serie A teams tend to take Everton's fringe wingers on loan, whether it's Delafeu <laughs> or Morales. Yeah, so, Morales. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, to take Richarlison, I think yeah, he's out of Milan's grasp. I would fear for them. Fringe mm-hmm. wingers, eh? Lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, Everton have missed their last five penalties at Goodison Preno, dating back to Wayne Rooney against Swansea in December 17. <sighs> Terrifying. Is it time for Marco to shake up his spot kickers or does he keep faith with Sigurdsson? Uh, no, he should not. Uh, he needs to change it quite decisively it's weird because Everson do have very very accomplished penalty takers in the squad unfortunately they're just not getting nowhere near the first team and so Leighton Baines who's you know club record you know sort of penalty taker and Cheng Tosin who I think has only ever missed one in his career uh, but they're just not playing regularly enough to you know actually be near it so you need to look at the starting lineup you know so who is playing at the moment that, you know, is capable of taking penalties more effectively than Gilfie Sigurdsson. I would say maybe the Black Cat more effective than Gilfie at the moment. But no, <laughs> um, no, that was a, it was a dreadful penalty there, wasn't it? But, um, and he missed one in the World Cup as well. Yeah, you know, a so, shocker yeah, in the World Cup. He, he, oh, yeah. He's not really, you know, so looked, and he should be convincing because, you know, his spot kicks, you know, sorry, his, his dead ball expertise is normally very, very good. So you've got to look elsewhere in the squad. Uh, Calvert-Lewin, I, I, I wouldn't be against him, you know, so taking penalties regularly. It's got to be somebody that well, fan- fancies it though. Oh, well, Luca Dean. Luca, yeah. Luca Dean's the one that stands out to me. Like for, oh, yeah. for a penalty taker, you've, yeah. it's, uh, it's all about having the right mentality as well as having, you know, any any footballer on the pitch has have the quality to yeah. actually get a shot on target from 12 yards. Well, you see, most of them I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't got Umani ass anymore. Well, so, yeah. Uh, but, so yeah, every one of them should have the quality to be able to take a penalty. But I just think Dean's the one that stands out to me is having that, right sort of mentality to just not let anything phase him in that sort of situation just step up bang it in (laughs) if it was only that easy Uh, I've got a rich history of the old left footers on on the penalties and uh, yeah, you reckon uh, if given a chance, Jordan Pickford would probably fancy his chances, but we're not going, we're not going, going down that road, Because no. <laughs> he would, he'd fancy it. Schiller vest. Do you reckon he'd do that stutter Steph run-up that uh, Richarlison yes. <laughs> did against Southampton? Yeah, we don't want to no. go down that road. It's, it's <laughs> mentality, isn't it? So, you know, they, they've obviously been doing work on it on the training pitch, and, you know, so whoever feels most confident, I suppose, would be the person that steps up, but... No, I mean, Silva needs to make a change, you know, so it's, it can cost points, it can mm. be quite decisive. And, you know, five in a row, that's a spectacularly bad record for the club, mm. indeed. Um, what do we make of Ross's performance, Ross Barkley's performance yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look, and I, you know, look, being brutally honest, I thought for 45 minutes he was one of the best players on the pitch. He's um, he's a very, very talented footballer who's, I, I still think, made the wrong move. Um, 
Yeah, maybe yesterday wasn't the best example of that, but he just seems suffocated at Chelsea. The talent that he has, he's terrified to express. Sarri doesn't want him running with the ball. He doesn't want him, you know, so expressing himself almost. He's got to move the ball on. He's got to play one-touch football all the time to try and fit into this, you know, so very strict, uh, you know, regiment that, that, that Sarri has. And that's not getting the best out of him. Um, I thought he handled the occasion quite well, to be fair, because, you know, so Stamford Bridge, I was down there earlier this season when he was getting dogs abuse every time he ran up and down the touchline and reacted to it, you know, Jordan Pickford style. It looked like he was, you know, it was affecting him. And I thought he'd struggle. I thought he'd, you know, sort of struggle to come to terms with it. But no, he didn't. He seemed to handle it quite well. Whether that was Eden Hazard taking the heat off him by pretending to boom as well. Um, But, well, maybe he's matured a little bit, you know, so over the last uh, 12 months, 18 months, I don't know. Uh, But he got through it okay and his performance was was decent. But I just think there's so much more that can come from Ross Barkley. Mm. I'm not sure he's at the right place to express that talent at the moment. Do you get in the Everton team if he was still here? I do, yeah. Um, Quite were difficult to say really because you know is he a number six is he a number eight is he a number ten no one seems to know you know so he's quite capable of playing all of them I preferred him in a slightly deeper role so I suppose the role that Gomez mm. is holding down now and I wouldn't stop him for Gomez because I've spoken you know so often in these pods about how much I love Gomez and you know so what a good player he can become um, so. No, he probably wouldn't in that role. Yeah, but whether he could play elsewhere, and depends on the system you're playing course, as well. But yeah. given, the, given the system that Marco Silva plays, it would have to be further up the pitch and probably where Sigurdsson's playing at the moment. Some people would say he'd be a more effective option than Sigurdsson. I don't. I like Sigurdsson as well. So in answer to your question, no, not at the moment. He probably mm. wouldn't get in. But that's not to say that he's not a talented footballer. I thought, I thought Ross fit into Chelsea's system quite well, especially in the first half. Yesterday, uh, the the plan of attack seemed to be for Chelsea double up on Seamus Coleman as much as possible because they knew Richarlison wasn't really going to cover back and track back enough. You know, there were a couple of times in that first half that Marco Silva was really angry with Richarlison mm. for not tracking back enough and Chelsea were managing to take advantage of that quite a lot. But I feel like the same problem befell Barkley that always befell him at Everton, you know, getting to the getting to that final third, his last decision. It was always just so rushed, so panicked. I think the the best example of that is when he danced his way into the into the box, you know, got himself into a really good position. You're thinking, is he going to shoot to that far post? Is he going to uh, drive across across the uh, box? But he didn't. He didn't either. He snatched at it, and he ended up, you know, executing quite a re- quite a good clearance about thirty yards away from the goal. Mm. And I think that kind of summed up. Now, what we always knew about Ross Barkley, you know, he he can look good, you know, he can get himself into those good positions, you know. I thought in that first half, he he was a good, he was probably Chelsea's best midfielder. I thought he dominated that midfield, really. I think he made Gomez look a bit silly on a couple of occasions, especially in those first opening 10, 15 minutes. But, you know, it, when it comes down to the nitty gritty of it, he went back into his shell, you know, second half, he was absolutely anonymous. And then uh, he was hooked off by Sari and he applauded all for Sari to Goodison. Uh, I'm still not sure whether that was sarcastic or not. Um, or, or genuine. Yeah, or genuinely like, thank you for having me back or something like that. I, I really don't know why he did that. But, you know, uh, he won't have been very happy to hear the chance at the end of the game of Barkley, what's the score? <laughs> so. Indeed. But you should, do you think he would he would fit into Marco Silva's system Marco yeah. kind of hinted that he would have 
like the opportunity to have worked with him if he was still at the football club? Um, do, do you see that he, he would have had a, an opportunity? I think that, was, that was always the problem, fitting into the system. What, what an amazing natural talent he was. I always go on about how I was, I was fortunate enough to be up at Newcastle that night when he mm. scored arguably one of his greatest goals forever. And he, he ran almost the whole length of the pitch and most players just not capable of doing that, not scoring a goal like that. And Ross Barton can do that. But yeah, where does he fit in? to a system, whether it's the, the Sally ball at Chelsea or the way that Marco likes to set up his, his, his midfielders. I, I agree with um, Dave in the, I think the most natural position would probably be the, the Andre Gomez role. So yeah, he, he could fit into the system, but would he be getting a, a regular game uh, ahead of um, Gomez? I mean, he, he, he'd probably have more of a, a goal threat than um, Gomez. So mm. he'd, he'd certainly have that, but then Gomez is a lot more... Um, Discipline um, for him, so yeah, it, it it's a great shame that he he, he felt that he, he had to move on. But like the, the other panelists have said, Chelsea are experiencing a lot of the same issues that, that Everton had with him. Indeed, um, victory and a terrific win yesterday. Actually, only nudges up to eleventh. Preno, mm-hmm. um, we're on forty points at the same stage last season with the same number of points. We would have been ninth. We finished last season with forty nine. Got us eighth. Do you think forty nine will get us anywhere near eighth this season? Doesn't look that way, does it? Uh, you know, so Wolves. Uh, I don't know. Is the FA Cup going to prove a bit dis- you know dis- distraction for them over the last uh, last seven or eight games? Uh, they don't look like they're going away. Watford. You know, so reasonably strong at the moment. I've just I've said before the fixtures that Everton have left make you fear that seventh place is going to be out of reach. Because uh, it would mean showing a level of consistency that we haven't shown before this season to get victories over, you know, so Arsenal at Goodison, you know, so over Manchester United, Tottenham. The away games look okay, you know, so the kind of games that you're possibly more optimistic about than the home games. Although West Ham are a strange team these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can be absolutely great one minute and dreadful the next. So, you know, difficult to say what's going to happen there. But no, I think it's going to need a, a, a fairly solid finish to get near seventh place. And we've argued before, I think Emerson should target Europa League football. I think it's important for the club's profile. It's important for the fans to get excited about it. It's just important, full stop. Uh, I'd love to see Everton back in Europe, but I don't think it's going to happen this season. And again, that needs Man City to win the FA Cup as well. as all kinds of imponderables. Of course, you know, yeah. so, uh, but I, I can't quite see it happening. And it'll probably work in Marco Silva's favour because, uh, you know... He'll say he wants European football, but you know, without it, he could probably plan things a little bit more effectively. He can certainly plan a better pre-season uh, than he'd have been able to, you know. So without Europa League starting in July, uh, I can't see it. I hope I'm proved wrong. Uh, I hope they do, you know, so get up there and do finish seventh, and City do win the FA Cup, and we do end up in Europe. But I can't quite see it. Adam, do you think that's been the sort of unspoken? added difficulty that Marco was facing his first season at the club not only trying to transform a squad inherited a squad of uh, misfit players if you like and, and the problems in that regard but also actually the league maybe has improved mm. outside of the top six mm. you know Wolves have had a great season Watford have, have st- strengthened and, and improved again mm. um, you know Leicester are always a, a there or thereabouts do you think actually that's another reason why it's been it's been a difficult season for Marco oh absolutely and I think it's not even it's not even just outside the top six. You know, you're seeing, you know, a, a mad race for the title this season. How many points would City have been at this, cleared at this stage last season? Probably about, I don't know, 14, 15, maybe something like that. And, you know, it was, it was a bit silly how, how far away City were running away with it last season. And, you know, the rest of the league was was such bad quality. But I think Everton fans were all picking up on that last season. You know, 
Everton finished eighth last season with the amount of dire performances that they put in, you know, with all the bad feeling towards that Sam Allardyce. Back down to Big Sam's tactical acumen. Well, <laughs> even before, even before he came in. So, how does that, how how does it stack up in terms of um, in assessing the season? Because Marco has has only ever alluded to do better than last season. Mm. So. Is that league position or is that points? Because yeah. we could get 50 points mm. and not finish eighth. What alarmed me was something they said on Match of the Day last night. Um, um, Everton could, if they don't improve, have their lowest league position since um, 2004 when they finished. Obviously nowhere near as bad yeah, as that. Yeah. And they finished 17th on 39 points on the Moyes. But it just struck me just watching the TV thinking, hopefully they won't, but the potential that they could have their lowest league position for 15 years, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't look good. I mean, you could say you, all these mitigating circumstances, it's about the bigger picture, it's about bringing together a new set of players after the high turnaround of managers, Martinez, Koeman, Allardyce and now Silva. And yeah, Leicester, Leicester City, Watford, Wolves, those teams we've mentioned already, even West Ham as well. But given the amount of... Everton was supposed to be the team who were trying to challenge the top six, break into this top six, but whereas they're far ahead, it's like not even being best of the rest and finishing potentially worst, lowest position for 15 years. That, that's, he's got to try and avoid that because that doesn't look good. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's got to be a league position you know, rather than points. You know, you can- even though there's an acceptance that the league has actually improved, so the basis for comparison isn't isn't the same. Yeah, it's a typical one, but think about it. Okay, when Moyes finished fourth in 2004-05, and it's always held up as like, this is great achievements, and it was a decent achievement, but the points total, was it 61, was it? Low, and yeah. then and you think of the points total that Roberto Martinez achieved in finishing fifth and just missing out. Was it 70? It was like, you know, 70, 72, 72, sorry. Yeah. So, you know, significantly better. And yet that's perceived as being a near miss, as being failure. It's all about league position. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, if you, you won the league with, you know, so, you know, 70 odd points you know so it's still winning the league it's still winning something you know winning the FA Cup with a 1-0 scramble you know so <laughs> goal doesn't matter it's yeah. all about position so yeah I mean he's got to get as high up that you know sort of league table as possible you know saying I've got 50 points which is more than last season mm. wouldn't really cut it I'm afraid I think the problem is like you can say that the league has improved and I would argue that yes the league has improved but you've got to look at Everton as a whole like you, you you're looking at Everton's performances especially over the last few months and you're seeing so many missed opportunities. Yes. Like in particular games, you're thinking, should have got more there? Should have got more there? Should have got more there? So you can't really blame the league. Oh, yeah, the league's got better. Like you can't blame that on those sorts of performances. You know, Everton should have done better this season. Like there's absolutely no question. And as B said, there are mitigating circumstances. You know, this is a Frankenstein's monster of a squad that Silver's trying to trying to sort out. You know, this is a long-term project that is only going to get better in the future. But still, there's that niggling feeling that, you know, in there's certain games where Everton should have done better and there's absolutely no excuse for that. Indeed. Well, they did better, certainly in the second half yesterday, and well enough to record a very pleasing victory indeed. Um, thank you very much for joining us on the Royal Blue Podcast. Remember, you can rate, review and subscribe to us on iTunes and Acast app. So please do. Chaps, thank you very much for your company. Really enjoyed that. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.